morning. Good to be back again in Georgetown. We were here last week, of course, and uh, just uh, be able to enjoy this this month here, worshiping with you all. Just uh, if you want to get together with us uh, as groups, we've already got a few that are uh, just to have a time of fellowship. We'll be here the rest of this month. And uh, I realize the small groups don't meet in the summer, but uh, if, it, if we can get together with some of you, we'd just love to do that and have a little more time of fellowship. We live in a messy world. A messy world because there's war, famine, because there's so many dysfunctional families that are falling apart. There's so many things in our nation and in our world, both on a large general scale and on a small individual and family scale. We live in a messy world. Today I'd like to preach from the word in Romans chapter 15. It's at the end of the book of Romans. And as you can see up here, I'd like to read verses 7 through 14. The Apostle Paul also lived in a very, very messy world. And he's writing this epistle, this doctrinal treatise, wonderful, on the whole aspect of salvation. He's writing to a church in Rome, a very messy city. At that time, the saying was, all roads lead to Rome, and they did. The Romans were known for hundreds of years of building wonderful roads, and it was to provide for themselves in Rome and other cities the tremendous benefits and comforts of the Roman Empire. But even at that time, Rome was called the cesspool of the empire. Messy. Violence. Injustice all over the place. The people in the nobility ruled and lived and the rest served them sometimes at the expense of their life. It was a messy world. And the Apostle Paul is seeking to write to a church to help them understand that in Christ, in the body of Christ, there is a difference, a way of facing this messy world and including people from all walks of life and all cultural backgrounds and many different religions, bringing them together in one body. And that's what chapter 14 and 15 are all about. But I'd like to read our passage for today 
beginning in 157. Those of you who don't have the Pew Bible in front of you can look up here. It says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to go show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And then he says to this group of believers, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Father, we pray that as we look at your word today, you might guide our thoughts and our hearts to understand your purposes as a church, but also as individuals. In Jesus' name. At the end of this treatise of Paul on salvation, he dedicates two chapters, chapter 14 and 15, to situations in the body of Christ in the church that he knew could be difficult. To, and they, because of the difficulties, it affected the unity of the church. In the first, in chapter 14, 14 verses 1 through 12, he talks about receiving one another with understanding. Some have one understanding, others have another, but receiving one another and seeking to come to an understanding of what Christ wants us to think and practice, especially because they came from different practices in their different cultures. In verses Chapter 14, 13 through 23, build up one another without offending the other. And then in chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, he does something very specific. Bear with one another, with their failings, to please one another as Christ has shown us an example. I'd like to sit on that just a minute. And if you want to follow me in those first seven verses, we don't have it here on the screen, but in your pew Bible in page 1139, just a quick overview of these first seven verses so that we can then dive into the uh, verse seven through the rest of what we will look at this morning. He talks here about strong believers Strong believers in that they're mature, well-developed because they've walked with Christ. They're mature because they've learned by obedience 
how they can experience the satisfaction of Christ in their life. They are strong. They've walked through many things. But then, there are the weak ones. Weak because of their understanding and living wasn't in the church. They were raised as Gentiles. They learned a totally different way of facing the world, a wrong way. And so as they came to Christ, they had to relearn and restructure their lives in many, many aspects of what they lived and what they did. They were weak, weak in trusting the Lord because they hadn't had that experience. They hadn't walked with the Lord for many years. Weak in their own maturity because of their decisions that caused them to stumble in their Christian life. Caused them to stop trusting the Lord. They're weak in that way. And weak in their obedience, not following Christ's example. But also, the scripture talks about people who are weak because they're going through physical suffering. And they need to be strengthened and held up, as it says in Scripture. And so he says here, the command in verse 2 is to bear with, oh, pick up and carry, bear with our neighbor. And it says here, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Now, there are many people in need in our communities, in our church, in our families. God doesn't want us to please them the way they want to necessarily, but the way they need and there is a difference to build them up. The great Christ would do that. Those of us who have been parents, most of us know that. It's not giving our children and helping our children with what they want. It's what they need. To help them become responsible, mature, making good decisions on their own. There's a difference. And then he comes to the example of Christ. And just to close out the verse six, he says, um, that together you may with one voice glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, strong, weak, weak because of many things, bad decisions, difficult situations, sickness in their, in their life. All these things that they might come together and glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this, verse 7, and that is on our screen. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. 
That word welcome, open your arms. Bring them in. Embrace them. What? The Apostle Paul, a Pharisee, the most strict sect of the Jewish community at that time. His father was a Pharisee. He had a pedigree of coming from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. What? Open my arms to welcome Gentiles? See, because what had happened in that time is the religious community had said, okay, commerce in the world, of course. We gotta live, we gotta eat, we gotta provide for our families. But culturally and religiously, closed. We're in here, you're out there. Got a problem, you're out there, sorry, find somebody else. Paul came from that kind of culture, that kind of upbringing. He was strong in his culture. He was strong in his religion. But he was wrong. And he recognized it. And when God commissioned him, when our Lord Jesus Christ commissioned him, he commissioned him as an apostle to the Gentiles. Goodness. How opposite could he and his life be to what he had been raised? And Paul recognizes that mentality in the churches because they were going through a transition time in their churches. And in that transition, there was this struggle between Jewish people who were raised in a very moral and religious community and those who had lived Terrible lives. And bringing those people together in Christ was not simple. It never was. It never is. But that is the plan of God. That is what Jesus Christ did so many times with Nicodemus, a very devout Pharisee You must be born again. And just a few days later, or a few weeks later, the Samaritan woman, John chapter four, a life of disaster. You need the living water, who I am. Zacchaeus, a terrible cheat. He lived cheating his own people to the point that they threw him out of the synagogue, would not allow. The only friends he had were those he would pay. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, I need to go to your house and I need to eat with you because I see your heart. And I've forgiven you. Nicodemus stands up and says, and all that I have cheated people, I'll pay back four times and give the other half to the poor, and I'll follow Christ. 
you imagine Nicodemus and Zacchaeus sitting at the same table, being part of the same Jew, Jerusalem congregation? They probably were. Because Christ makes a difference. And that's why the Apostle Paul here says that we must welcome them for the glory of God, not for our own glory, for the glory of God. And then in 8, he says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order that to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. He's saying, okay, listen to this. Christ first came to the Jewish nation to confirm the promises that God had made throughout the Old Testament that he would be the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ for the Jewish nation. No doubt. But then it says, Verse, eight, or verse 9, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. I just want to make a difference here. The Jews, because God is truthful, they celebrated when they understood Christ as their Messiah, they celebrated God's truthfulness from the book of Genesis and the promises made to Abraham all the way through the book of Malachi. God's promises to the Jewish nation, and in Jesus, they were fulfilled. The Messiah came, and they were able to bathe in that light. Unfortunately, many did not bathe in that light, rejected their Messiah. But then he says, and, to the, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Did they deserve it? Absolutely not. But did they have it? Was God reaching out to them? Yes. And Paul, who knew the Old Testament very, very well, gives four different passages. And it's progressive here. Very interesting. First of all, we see here a passage from the Psalms, a Psalm of David, he says, beginning in verse Nine again, the second part, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. Here it is. The Jewish people, the Jewish community, praising the Lord among the Gentiles. The Gentiles at this point, at this beginning stage, they're just observing the Jews praising God. Second one. And again, it is said, and this from the book of Deuteronomy 32, 43, this is Moses speaking way back. And he's saying, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Now they've come into the community of God and are rejoicing with God's people, the Gentiles. And Moses knew that. The writer of the law knew that the Gentiles would join the Jewish nation and rejoice. Verse 11, and he says, and again, and this again from the Psalms, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples, the peoples of the earth, extol him. Now it's the Gentiles 
who are praising the Lord on their own. And finally, as, I say, as Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and in him will the Gentiles hope. What is wrong with our messy world? Either they have no hope, or their hope is placed on something very unstable. Something that today is and tomorrow is not. Something that they aspire to, and when they reach that goal, it doesn't satisfy, it doesn't fill, it doesn't give an ongoing purpose for life. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, in him, in this root of Jesse, he will govern them, be the ruler of their lives, which we know is what the Lord wants to do. And because of that, in him will the Gentiles hope. This word hope. In Spanish, it's the word esperanza. In English, there's, it, it's not a, a combination of, of two words or two, but in Spanish it is. Esperanza is this. Esperar, which means wait. And the other is trust. A trustful waiting for God to fulfill his promises. That's what hope is. A trustworthy, a trust person who is trusting, waiting for God and his timing to fulfill his promises in our lives, in our situations. The Gentiles need that, needed that. Let me ask you a question. Who are the Gentiles in your life? Obviously, expanding the meaning of that word. Who are the people who are living messy lives around you? Is it your extended family? Could it be within your own family? Your coworkers? Are they the Gentiles in your life? Your neighbors? Many of you have lived in the same home in this community for years. 20, 30 years. Who are the Gentiles in your life? They need hope too. And he concludes this part 
by saying this in verse 13, which is basically, we could say, the conclusion of this argument. Precious. It's a doxology. It's a blessing. And he says, as though it were a prayer and a blessing at the same, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. What is he saying here? He's saying, may you be satisfied in Jesus. That his hope, his joy, his peace might fill you. How? As you believe. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, who every true believer in Jesus Christ has his spirit within him, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you may overflow in hope. Uruguay said, the Uruguayans say they have a favorite indoor sport. Their outdoor, favorite outdoor sport, of course, is soccer. Those of you who know anything about soccer know that soccer is very popular in Argentina and Uruguay, Brazil, all over South America. Their favorite indoor sport is complaining. Might be all over the world. If it's hot, it's too hot. If it's cold, it's too cold. And if it's in the middle, don't worry. It'll get too hot or too cold next week. I mean, just... And some believers have understood this, that it's part of the culture, and started saying, now, wait a minute. We have a chance to be a witness here. And instead of joining in the complaining against the government, against the weather, against this, against that, against your own family and your children and everything else in the world that's a mess, being a light of hope. Some of them have said to us, people get kind of upset with us. How, why, why aren't you being upset with us? This is wrong. There's injustice within our working community. Why aren't you upset? Because my hope, because the reason for my living isn't based on everything going my way. What? Are you kidding? So what, what, what kind of life are you living that you don't let all these things just weigh you down? Because my hope is in Jesus. And he helps me face the world both good and difficult with trust, peace, and joy. What about the Gentiles in your life? Do they need hope? Do they need to see abounding hope? The, the idea, the word picture here is of a fountain 
that continues to bubble over in hope. And because it is continually bubbling over, then it begins to reach out and take hope to those around them. Obviously, this passage goes a few more verses, but I'd just like to add verse 14. Because Paul is saying to the Roman church and people of God, I'd like to say these things to you too, or at least put these before you for you to ask yourself this, these questions that Paul says of these people. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness. The idea here is character, the good character of God. It's talking about, on the one hand, for sure, purity, integrity, but also the idea full of goodness in, in the character that you, you have received from God his goodness and you would like to be a part, an agent of God's goodness to others. And he also says, and that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge. What does that mean? The knowledge of the promises of God, of the reasons and the ways that God works, who he is, what he's done for us, and what he would like to do in your life and in my life and through our lives Touch others with hope. And he says, filled with knowledge and able to instruct one another. The word there in the Greek is nuthateo. It became a very popular term back in the late 1980s. A man named Jay Adams wrote a book called Competent to Counsel. And he developed the, now used in the English, the idea of nuthetic counseling. It's a type of counseling, and the word simply means confronting one another to change our thinking. Being agents of change, why? Because we are willing to take a step towards each other. And here the Apostle Paul is saying, I am confident you have goodness, God's goodness in your heart to motivate you. You have God's knowledge of his word to instruct you and to lead you and to help teach others so that you're able to confront to change the way of thinking and acting of those around you. Are you there? Is the goodness of God part of your character? Do you know his word to be able to share to others? wants to use you that way. He wants to use me that way. He's not talking to just Timothy and a few select servants. 
He's talking to a whole congregation. And through this written word, he knew it would be many other congregations. It comes to us almost 2,000 years later, and still he is instructing his body, the body of Christ. Many people are satisfied to do good things, church things, God things, willing to reach out if it doesn't take me out of my comfort zone. <laughs> Sound familiar? But the Lord wants us to ask him how we can reach the Gentiles in our lives. The Lord wants us to be willing to do whatever the Lord wants us personally to do, even if it takes steps of faith into the unknown, the not so comfortable. And that's a call to all of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we know that your word what we need, that your word instructs us. And we thank you for the Apostle Paul and the tremendous change that you made in his life and how he became from such an isolated person and even a persecutor of your church to one who not only opened his heart but also overflowed your hope to so many Gentile people. We thank you, Lord, for this example and for these instructions that your church might also learn from these things. In Jesus' name, amen.